Our study today out of the book of Zechariah, chapter 2, the apple of his eye. Now we're going to be looking at the verses in the second part of this chapter. Uh, we looked at the beginning verses last week, and it's not really dependent on each other, so it's really not like a part two or anything, but if you missed the first verses of chapter two, you'll be able to see that on shalomadventure.com. But we'll just do a little overlapping here in verse six. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like the four wings of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So this time when Zechariah is writing, we had been in Babylon for over 70 years at this point. God miraculously worked a uh, ability for Medo-Persians to take over Babylon and moved upon Cyrus's heart to allow us to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild Israel and rebuild the city and the temple. And with a decree and an open uh, policy to let us go and even financial help to go, only a small, a small percentage of those of us that were in Babylon actually took him up on it and went back. And so God uses Zechariah to send a message to those still in Babylon saying, come on, get out, flee, leave Babylon and come out of Babylon. And he sends this message, God sends this message with lots of promises. That don't worry, there's going to be a wall of fire. Jerusalem will be like a wall of fire. And there's going to be so many people in Jerusalem that it's going to be a multitude of people and a multitude of livestock. It'll be a city like without walls. There won't be enough walls to withhold, to hold all the people inside. But conditional on you guys leaving Babylon and coming and dwelling in Jerusalem. And then we saw in Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, Babylon the great is fallen, it's fallen. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Now, of course, when Revelation was written, Babylon you know, did not exist even as a city anymore, let alone as a country. But he's not talking about a literal city or a literal country. He's talking about this, the, the state of, of confusion of this world, of worldliness, of sin. That is what Babylon really is, to come out of sin, to come out of the sins of this world, the doctrinal confusions, the political confusions, the social confusions of, of right and wrong and, and morality and truth and error uh, and, and, and guidance in our lives and how to live righteously and to follow the Lord and come out of, again, our carnal nature because we're born with this Babylon attitude. We're born in confusion. We're born in resistance against God. We're born in this hatred towards God this enmity towards God, and he's saying, come out of that, and the only way to come out of that is through God's gracious uh, power, just as he delivered us out of Egypt, we couldn't get out on our own, God worked miracles, and God worked miracles, again, like Cyrus's heart, God will work a miracle in our heart, and move us out of Babylon, give us a hatred for the things of this world, a hatred for things as they are, our natural inclinations to do wrong, to, to be jealous, to be hateful, to be selfish, and to move us away from that and to move us into God's light. And that's, again, a miracle of God that he fills us with his spirit. And so the chapter continues with this thought. But again, just as the first part and all those promises were conditional upon us leaving Babylon, so also the second part conditional upon us willing to leave the sins of this world, the sins of our hearts, the sins of our minds, and to come into God's kingdom and to out of the, the, instead of being a daughter of Babylon, being a daughter of Zion, being a daughter of God. So in verse 8 it says, He who touches you touches 
the apple of his eye. This is a description of how precious we are to God. That we are like the apple of his eye. And he protects it, protects us like someone would protect the apple of their eye. Now the apple of their eye, the word there is it's the same word that's used for pupil, your pupil in your eye. And that's where we get the term for a student, a pupil. A little tre treasured little person, a, a very special and tender that we want to take care of and watch over. And so the same with our eye. Uh, we have this saying, uh, uh, in the blink of an eye, right? Our, our, to protect our eyeball, to protect our pupil, God has given us eyelids that shut so quick, so rapid, within a fraction of a second, so fast that we have this exp expression, in the blink of an eye, right? You know, the, I lost all my money in the stock market in a blink of an eye, right? You know, in, the, in no time at all, just boom, and it, was, it happened, right? It happened so fast. The accident happened so fast, it was like in a blink of an eye. Right? So quickly that we don't even realize often that we blink. It happened so fast and closed and opened so fast that we didn't even realize there was a, a break in, in our... And we do it several times. Some people more than others. Several times within a few seconds. It's just so rapid that we do it. Um, and it, God uses it to, to keep the eyes moist and, and being able to work and function, but also for this protection. And, and we, we, we protect our eyes. Uh, if you're you know, working on something and, and, and something, you know, let's say you're pulling weeds and the dirt splatters up with the, with the, with the roots and, and hits you in the face or you're working with some wood and you're sawing and you don't have your mask on. That's why they say on all these things, put eyeglasses on eyeglasses on eyeglasses on, protect the eyes. And they'll have gloves, protect the fingers, they're important too. But, the, but they're not worried about your forehead, they're not worried about your skull. Put eyeglasses on if you're going to be working with a battery or working with a power saw because you've got to protect the eyes. And so you're working with the saw and sawdust flies up in your face. And the next thing you know, you got sawdust hitting your face or dirt hitting your face. You didn't even realize it, but it didn't get in your eyes because your eyes shut so quick. The eyelid shut so quick. You didn't even have time to realize consciously that dirt is flying at you, that sawdust is flying at you, and that your body reacts so quickly. The eye saw it, recognized it, told the mind, <laughs> send the signal to the lid, and the lid shut in time to protect the eyeball, the pupil in the eyeball. That's how fast it happens. And then we wipe our face and clean it off. And, and sometimes dirt will get in, even with that. And our whole body goes into action. The other day I was, I was out working in the yard and, and I, I banged my shin. And, uh, and I shook it off, you know. And it hurt a little bit and went back and continued to work. Tough luck on the, on the leg, you know, I was just going to have to put up with it. And went back and worked. And, and then uh, a while later, went in the house and, and uh, it had a bump on it. And so I put some ice on it and went back and went to work on, on the computer. And uh, sitting there with some ice on it. But my hands are still working, my eyes are working, my, you know, my mind is working, answer a phone call. You know, I'm all working and these legs just sitting there with some ice on it. But if some dirt had gotten into my eyes, pulling out a root, or sawdust in it, forget it, everything stops. Right? Everything goes into protecting that eye. The eyelid tried to shut in time, it didn't catch it. The legs start running and running, running, looking for water. Right? The hands are there turning on the faucet, the hands are throwing water into the face. Right? The, the back is bent over the sink and trying to protect that eye and clean out that dirt out of the eye. Everything goes into protecting the eye. The leg, who cares? Right, not a big deal, right? Put up with a bump on the leg. But 
But the eye, little speck, little nothing in the eye, everything stops. The eye starts tearing, every part of the body. Your mouth is yelling, screaming for help, right? And everything stops because the eye is so important. I mean, we can get by without it. There's people blind who get by without it. But what a benefit the eyesight is. What a miracle of God to give us eyesight. If anything, is a testimony of creation over evolution. I mean, so much we could say about the eye, but even just think of this simple thing, that we have an eye and an eyelid. Which came first? The eyelid or the eye? <laughs> you don't need one without the other. You can't evolve and mutate to have eyelids on a, on a being, on a face, on a body with no eyeball. Right? There'd be no sense to that. There'd be no need for that. And if you had an eyeball with no eyelid, you'd quickly go blind, go out in the sun, and, and you wouldn't last long. And dirt would get into it, dust would get into it, and the sunlight, the ultraviolet sunlights, would, would affect it so much it wouldn't be able to survive, and it wouldn't be able to again, get uh, moistened, moistened by, by the eyelid closing. They had to evolve, or they had to be created, they had to be there together at the same time. Had to be. Two totally different parts of the body, one on the skin, one inside a separate ball, had to be there at the same time. Created together to work together, right? That the eyelid closes as often as it needs to to do its work with that, all that solution inside there. Had all that system had to be working together at the same time or we wouldn't have eyes. And we have two of them, not only. We only have one miraculous miracle of an eyeball eyelid working together with lashes and, again, liquids. But we got two of them. And so we have four. We got the two balls and the two lids, and they work together. And we're able to close one and leave one open if we want, right? We have that ability. All, no way, no way, I don't care if you got zillions and gazillions, whatever bigger than that, of years. There's no way by chance that's going to happen and not only in one species, right? All mammals have eyes and eyelids, I think, right? Absolutely amazing. No way that could happen. So God counts the eyes as precious. He's made them precious. He's made them with protections, made them with rapid protections, and, he, and made them important Place them in an important part of our body, towards the top of the head, where you can see how far. And he says, you are the apple of my eye. You are that precious. You are that important. That everything in the universe stops if you need my help. I will put all the agencies of heaven at your disposal if something tries to touch you. If something tries to hurt you, I don't care what's going on on the other side of the universe, I will send as many angels as necessary to come there and to help you. God sent his son to save even just one. That's how important we are. That's what he's saying. You are the pupil. You are the apple of my eye. So important to me. He's placed us in such an elevated position. That's how much 
and more so, that God loves you. And that's why he calls us out of Babylon. Because he doesn't want us to be daughters of confusion. He doesn't want us to be daughters of depression and despair and negativity and greed and prejudice. He wants us to be daughters of the, of the God of the universe. Sons and daughters of God. That's what he's called us to. That's what he's invited us to. That's what he's drawing us to. Come out from there and come to me. Because you are precious in my sight. So precious in my mind. So precious in my body. Even as much as the apple of an eye. That's how much he cares about us. And that's why he calls us out of Babylon. Now the rest of this verse, this is just a portion of this verse, says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, who sent me after glory to the nations which spoiled you, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So now while it's, we're very precious to the Lord, the apple of his eye... It does not say that no one will be able to touch us. It says, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Right? So he's not saying you're not going to get touched. He's saying he's gonna, they're going to touch us. They're going to bother us. They're going to harass us. But when they do, they're messing with God. Right? Thus says the Lord of hosts who sent me after glory to the nations which spoiled you. We're going to get spoiled. We're going to get rioted, we're going to get looted, we're going to get, they're going to take the spoil from us. They're going to harass us. Satan and his host hate us. It's going to happen. God's just telling us it's going to happen. That's what they did to Jerusalem. The Babylon came in and ruined the whole place and took everything and everyone with it. Not saying calamity's not going to happen. He didn't say, oh, you're so precious, you're such a jewel, I'm going to put you on a pedestal, no one will ever bother you, everything's going to be great doesn't say that. I don't know anywhere in the Bible that says you're never going to receive problems. I know all throughout the Bible it says there's going to be problems in your life. But I'm there with you. You're not alone. And if they touch you, if they mess with you, I'm going to deal with them. Right? So he allows us to get touched. He allows us to get spoiled by them. But he will shake his hand at them. And he allows it for our own good. Now that might seem crazy, especially some of the things we've gone through in our lives. But in the end, some things we see why here, some things we won't know till heaven. But God works all things together for good. And when we look back from heaven's perspective and we see how he used that circumstance, that horrible event, to draw us close to him, and that without it, we might have gone on in our sinful state, we will look back and we will thank him. When we see how God used that in saving other people, we will be thankful. God's looking at the big picture. Plus, God has to give them free choice. He gives the nations free choice. He gives those who touch us and spoil us free choice. And when they got slammed down, immediately they thought about it, then they wouldn't have free choice any more than you and I have free choice. So you give them the free choice, but then as soon as they 
not always as soon in time-wise, but in God's time, as soon as they touch us, as soon as they spoil us, God says he will shake them. And sometimes it's immediately, sometimes it's in a while, sometimes it's not till the judgment, but God will shake them, he will shake, says, I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoiled for their servants. So they spoiled us, and then even their servants are going to end up spoiling them. They're going to get taken over by those that they've oppressed. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. The meek will inherit the earth. Right? They're ruling over the earth right now. But the meek will inherit the earth. God will give us the upper hand eventually for all eternity in the new heavens, in the new earth. Now, there's some interesting things in this verse that I haven't underlined there. I want to point them out, and I'm going to color code them here to really point them out for us. For thus says the Lord of hosts, who sent me after glory to the nations which spoiled you. He who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become like spoil for their servants, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. You see there, there's two beings spoken about there, right? An eye and a him, right? His eye, my, I, me. The Lord of hosts sent me, right? So you got two there. The Lord of hosts and you got me. Not me, but the me that's speaking here. And the me that's speaking here is Yeshua the Messiah. Talking about the Lord of hosts, talking about the Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, who sent me after glory, right? His eye, the Heavenly Father's eye, and thus he sent me, and I will shake my hand in judgment against them, because the Lord of hosts has sent me. Very powerful messianic text here. Man, it's not done yet. This is just the first verse. It continues. But very, very poignant, very, very clear of these Two beings that work as one, that are in harmony together, that are achad, that are one, but as two individual beings. Just as Adam and Eve, said, God said regarding Adam and Eve, the two will be one flesh. That's God's miracle. And here we have it here, these two working together. The Lord of hosts sent me. Right? It doesn't say the Lord of hosts sent himself. It doesn't say the Lord of hosts came on his own. It doesn't say the Lord of hosts who's going on his own, says, the Lord of hosts sent me. And we'll see here who this me is over the next few verses in his divine character. Now, what tense is the Lord of hosts sent me? What tense is that? Past tense, right? Past tense. And he has sent me, right? So at this point in the time of Zechariah, the Messiah has already been sent. The Messiah has already walked and talked with Adam and Eve. The Messiah already walked and talked with Abraham. And Abraham saw his day. And three men came to Abraham's tent. And in the next chapter, the two of them are identified as angels that go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the other one is referred to as the Lord stayed and talked with Abraham in person as a man. Showing up in various places through the scriptures. Walking before Moses. And appearing in various times down through the ages 
and here as well. He had been sent, he had walked, he had been here among us, tabernacling, tabernacling with us, dwelling with us, living with us, coming in and out from time to time, we see in the scriptures, past tense. But then the next verse says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. So go out of Babylon. You're no longer a child, daughter of Babylon. Now you're a daughter of Zion. Come out, be changed heart, God's power, receive his forgiveness, receive his cleansing. Now we become new creatures, no longer daughters of Babylon, no longer selfish in heart, but changed and transformed by the power of God to children of Zion, daughters of Zion. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord of hosts. What tense is that? Future. I am coming. So he says he sent me, and then he says, and I am coming. And I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst. Not just for a time, not just for a second, not just come down, talk with Abraham for a day or so, and then go, go back, but come and dwell in your midst, amongst you, as you, with you, not just temporarily putting on flesh for a, for a covering, but putting on fleshly nature, putting on human nature, putting on becoming all things like we are, being tempted like as we are, from both without and from within feeling our pain, knowing our suffering, coming in the flesh, born and flesh, coming through a woman, receiving pain, receiving suffering, receiving rejection, bleeding, crying, hurting, dying in the flesh, and yet being victorious, in the flesh, resisting temptation, overcoming temptation, defeating the devil, and being resurrected to newness of life. I am coming. Verse 11, and many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. So come out of Babylon, become children of Zion, and the nations also shall be joined together to the Lord in that day and also become my people. Who are these nations? What's the word nations? The, nation, the word there is Gentiles. What's another word there? Or, I mean, sorry, goyim, I gave it away. Goyim. <laughs> the other word we have is Gentiles. Right? So there's many Gentiles, many nations, many people from the nations, the goyim, will come and be joined to the Lord. Now, have those things happened? Did the Messiah come? In Zechariah's time, he says, I am coming. Did the Messiah come? Did he dwell in our midst? Did he dwell with us? Did he dwell as us? Yes. Have many nations come to the Lord? Have many Gentiles come to the Lord? Yes. So promises made, promises fulfilled. And God is just as surely and strongly as he has fulfilled these promises, we know the other promises are there as well. That he will be a wall of fire around us. That Jerusalem will be inhabited with so many the walls haven't been able to hold in. We see that been fulfilled back in, in Yeshua's day and today again. 
and the Messiah came, and Gentiles have come to the Lord and are united together, the daughter of Zion, making up the people of God, God's people. And thus he is also assured that we are the apple of his eye, and he will deal with those that touch us. He will take care of those that have been spoiling us. Judgment is his, and he has not forgotten us. He has taken note of it, he has recorded it, and he will deal with it. We can know for sure he will deal with it. He's recorded them, he has seen them, and he knows them. And he will, they won't get away with it forever. They think they will. Here on this earth, that people are getting away with horrible, horrendous things. But in God's way, in God's judgment, in God's timing, they won't get away with it forever. God will deal with it, because we know so. Because he said so. And he's backed up his word by fulfilling promises. He said he will come, and he has come. He said Gentiles will come in, and they have. He said Jerusalem will be inhabited, and it is. God is true. His word is true. Thus we can stand on these promises. Verse 11, And I will dwell in your midst, and then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. There again. It's like second, third time, right? The Lord of hosts has sent me. I will dwell in your midst. Second or third time on that, too. Promises, I will come, I will dwell in your midst. And again, not just a temporary, but 33 years. Not just for a day like with Abraham. 33 years. In our midst. In all of our midst. Not just again with Abraham, but in amidst us. Part of Israel, a part of the family of God. He came, and the Lord of hosts sent him. Wonderful promise. And again, we see the loving relationship between the Father and the Son, working together. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever... Children of Israel, children of the nations, whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, he sent. In the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, to whosoever. Same type of promise here. Same type of wording. God's great love for us. And he knew ahead of time, foretold it ahead of time, and fulfilled it in his time. And just assuredly as he knew what he was going to do for, for Yeshua, in our behalf, he knows about us as well. He knows every act against us. He knows every attempt to spoil us and hurt us. He knows every word and every tweet and every word of post and everything that's ever been said or done against you. And he records it. He knows it. And he is with us. He is in our midst. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Doesn't mean we won't get thrown into a fire, but he will stand in the fire with us. Doesn't mean we won't die in the fire. Stephen died getting stoned. I'm not talking marijuana. I'm being rock-stoned by Paul. 
Saul at that time. But God worked a miracle in his heart. That's the power of God, that while he is getting rocked to death, he's looking up and seeing Yeshua sitting at the right hand of the Father, the two of them there, and crying out in faith and pleading with in prayer, Lord, forgive them for what they're doing to me. That's a miracle of God. That's the power of God. And God let him die. And we're talking about him still today. And so God might use what's going through in your life today or what's happened in your life in the past so that it can be talked about by others and be a testimony to them. Even maybe in death. And it worked about Saul's transformation. Paul never forgot that. It worked upon him. It worked upon him until he surrendered. And look at how many have been blessed through Paul. So God only knows, and we'll know in heaven, how many are in heaven because of Stephen dying, being spoiled, being touched, being hurt, being killed. And only in heaven will we see the whole picture of how God has protected you, the apple of his eye, even while he was letting us go through the fire, even as he was allowing us to get poked and prodded He's working out his plan for us and for all humanity. And who knew Stephen back in Stephen's day? Now, lots of people know of Stephen. God used it. We might say, who am I? No one even knows my trouble. God knows. And God will use it and can use it if we come out of Babylon if we trust in him, if we come to him, if we surrender all to him, if we come to the Messiah and accept his death in our place, we accept his forgiveness, we accept his removal of our sinful carnal heart, we accept his new heart, we accept his Holy Spirit to give us new minds and new lives, then we will walk by God's grace like a Stephen, like a Paul, like an Abraham, like a Moses. By his grace. Verse 12, the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and I will again choose Jerusalem. Mentioned in the Holy Land, only one Holy Land. It's Holy Land. God consecrated it as his inheritance. He has chosen Jerusalem and he hasn't forgotten it. Verse 13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. You know what this verse means? You know what it's saying? It's saying you cannot talk in the synagogue. That's what it means, right? For generations, right, for decades, they'd have signs in the foyers, you know, do not speak in the sanctuary, be quiet in the sanctuary. Because the Lord says, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. I don't think that's what this means, though. I think that's a misuse of this text. I think God loves to hear us talk in the synagogue. I mean, maybe not during my sermon. My kids say, how come you get to talk through your sermons? <laughs> that's not fair. You get to talk through your sermons. 
But God doesn't want that story during the sermon or during the song service. But before and during the greeting, when we have the greeting times and afterwards, I think God loves to hear us fellowshipping. God loves to hear us talking with one another. God loves to hear us hearing each other's, how our weeks have gone, how our week has gone, how our, what's in our, going on in our life, any prayer requests, any interest, reconnecting, listening to each other, schmoozing together, eating together, owning Shabbat. God, I think God smiles on that. He doesn't want us to be silent. He wants us to rejoice. He wa- Even during the sermon, you can say, Amen, praise the Lord, right? God loves, don't have to be silent. Right? But shout for glory and sing at the top of our voices as we sing and praise the Lord. Right? He loves to hear the praises of his children. So what is it talking about? Well, in context of this chapter, the verses just before it, he says, The Lord of hosts has sent me. And then you will know. And I will dwell in your midst. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. When we know that we are in his midst, that he is in our midst, that he is with us, that really silences all our arguments. That shuts up all our doubts and all our worries and all our fears and all our whys. All our complaining to him and to each other. It just shut, ends the argument. Like, God, why'd you allow this to happen to me? You're the apple of my eye. <laughs> What's going to happen if I step out in faith and if I stop doing this and if I leave this worldly friends of mine? What's going to happen to me? You're going to be with a multitude so big that... Walls won't even be able to hold you in. What about those who attack me and those who don't like me and those who hate me and those who are threatening me? I'll be a wall of fire to you. He ends our arguments. He silences all dissension. There's no need for it. When we really see him for who he is, we'll do like many in the Bible did. We'll fall down before him in silence with nothing to say. When we truly allow our eyes to be open to him, to open to his glory, to his great love for us, for his great compassion for us, for his mighty arm to protect us and save us according to his will, that he will provide for all our needs according to his riches and glory. That silences it all. Right? All our complaints. Lord, I need this. I need that. I want this. I want. How come I don't have this? They have this. I didn't get this. How come they didn't get this? How come this didn't happen? Then he, if we just see him and believe him, we'll be content. We'll have nothing to say. No more argument. No more bickering, no more fetching, no more crying, just accepting. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for watching out for me. Thank you for working it out. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. If we've come out of Babylon, if we've become daughters of Zion, From the nations or from Israel, it doesn't matter. 
we've come out and we're walking with him and we're walking uprightly by his grace, then no good thing will he withhold. And so if you don't have something that you think you should have, it's because it wasn't good for you. Because no good thing will he withhold. And so if he lets you have it, then it's a good thing. If he doesn't ha let you have it, it's not a good thing. And so stop complaining about it. And be silent. And be happy that you don't have it. Because you wouldn't want it if you did, if you knew what he knew and you could see as he saw. You complain. Why don't I have that job? Why don't I have that spouse? Why don't I have that child? Why don't I have children like they got children? Why don't I end up with these kind? Why don't, I, why don't I have this kind of house? Why don't I have this kind of talents? Why am I made this way? Why am I not this tall, this short, this... What am, why am I this way? My eye color, my hair. Why am I, why am I, why am I not? We trust the Lord. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He will meet all our needs according to his riches and glory. We believe those things. There's nothing to say. We're silent before him. We trust in him. We pray, diligently work, diligently strive. We can save. It's not wrong to have a house, a car, or whatever. So we can save, we can look, we can be content throughout the whole process. And if he says no at the end of the process, then it's okay too. Be content in all things, trusting in the Lord, waiting upon him. So, as we prepare to pray, Every area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about through this week or through tonight. If you want to claim that promise of God as a wall of fire around you, for him to enlarge his territory in your life and multitude of people and livestock, that the walls can't hold it in, or the precious promise that you are the apple of his eye. And the moment when we pray, accept those promises in your life. Accept those statements from the Lord and lay hold on them. Or if you've been touched and spoiled and harassed by others and hurting and in pain, physically or mentally or emotionally, claim God's promise that he will shake his hand on them and he's going to deal with them. Justice will be done. And in your case, your situation, he will work all things together for good. Even bad things, he will work it out as we trust in him. Third, if you're in Babylon, you're still in some area of confusion, some area of sin in your life, maybe just one area, whatever area, there's some area you know you're doing something that the word of God says not to do, come out of that by his grace. Pray and say, Lord, deliver me from this. Give me a hatred for, for this. Forgive me for this. And I accept your sacrifice and your death to destroy it in my life. Give me power to do what is right. Or maybe there's something you should be doing. You know you should be doing, but you're not doing it. Then same thing. Lord, forgive me for not doing it. Cleanse me of that. And give me your power to do what's right. To walk in the right way. Or maybe you've been complaining to others or to the Lord. And you want to just be silent. You want to claim God's promises. And like Job at the end of it, right? Job's complaining all 30-something chapters. Not my fault. Then <laughs> God comes to him and says, were you there when I created the earth? Did you teach the eagles how to fly? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you? 
And Job had nothing to say. <laughs> Job was silent. No, I guess I don't really know as much as I thought. Maybe you want God to open your eyes and shut your mouth. And in a moment when we pray, let God illuminate you, see him as he really is. And I don't know if I'm at the fifth or sixth or wherever we're at, but this applies to you, the, the knowledge of the unique unity of God, that the Lord of hosts sent me, that I will dwell in your midst. These two divine beings as one, united together, working together as one in our behalf. If that's a new thought to you, and you see plainly in several of those verses and many other parts of the Bible, and you want to accept those truths into your heart and mind. And as we pray, thank the Lord for them. Thank him for being there with us as Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit, and being united in our behalf. And we can pray and make, ask him to make us one as they are one, one with each other and one with him as well. So any of these areas apply to you or maybe something else that I'm missing? Let us pray and let God do his work in our behalf. Lord and God, King of the universe, Lord of hosts, Lord of all the armies, Lord of the universe, thank you for setting everything aside and all those other planets and galaxies out there and living creatures that you've made and focusing here on the apple of your eye. Thank you for stopping all of heaven, basically, and coming down here and focusing on our problem. Thank you, Yeshua, for coming into our midst. Thank you, Father, for sending him. Thank you for coming, knowing our pain and being able to succor us. Thank you for noting all our troubles, all our woes. Thank you for experiencing our grief with us. Thank you for your mighty hand. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your power to save heart, soul, mind, body, and spirit. Work your deliverance. Deal with those that have hurt us, hurt you through us. And by hurting us, bring your judgments upon them. Bring justice here on this earth. Expand our borders. Expand our hearts. Expand our numbers. Expand our knowledge of you. Expand your grace in our lives. Walk us in your ways. And use us in illuminating others. Send us in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.